Recorded at the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York at the WAYO-FM studios, welcome to Trans Story, a production of the Transformation Thursday podcast. I am your host, Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. Today we are welcoming to Trans Stories, Megan McKee. Megan is a transgender woman who is openly serving in the Royal Canadian Navy, stationed in Quebec City, Quebec, but she originally hails from Belleville, Ontario, which is, according to my map, right across the lake from Rochester here. Well, anyway, Megan also serves on the Forces Canada Defence Team Pride Network and is an ambassador for Positive Space. Today, I will be speaking with Megan about her transition, and in particular, we will be discussing how it was for her to transition at work right after this short break. Welcome back to Trans Stories. I am Amy Stevens. My pronouns are she, her, and as we, as I mentioned in the introduction, today we are welcoming Megan McKee. Megan, welcome to Trans Stories, and you're, you're a brave soul, I think. Thank you very much, Amy. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I know you and I were going back and forth a little bit, so tell us a little bit about Megan real quick at a high level, what you do in the Royal Canadian Navy, and a little bit about your background. Okay, well, um... I've been in the Royal Canadian Navy for 17 years now. I'm a lieutenant, and I live and work in Quebec City, and right now I'm working with the Naval Reserve Headquarters. Um, I'm not part of the Naval Reserve. It's just a position that I'm filling right now. And, yeah, I've spent uh, many years out in Victoria on the west coast of Canada, just north of Seattle, and uh, spent many years at sea on various ships. And now I'm a what you might call a permanent staff officer. Now, do you still do ship duty, or are you primarily working at different bases, um, you know, land base, I would say? I'm not quite sure of the terminology. Yeah, so um, my sea daying day, my seagoing days are pretty much over now. Um, so I'm working in the capacity of a staff officer at various headquarters. Okay, and I would imagine you, you, you mentioned, if it's okay, we can edit it out if not, but you do have a family, so I'd imagine being, being able to be home more often than at sea is advantageous for you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So my wife and I are both naval officers in the Royal Canadian Navy. Um, same occupation, same rank, and we're both now permanently based ashore. And yeah, we have three kids, ages six, three and a half, and two. And yeah, they keep us busy all yeah. the time. Wow. Two of them were planned. The third one was the so-called happy accident. Yeah, no, the happy accidents are happy. So, but yeah, but they all—they're keeping you busy. Absolutely, especially since my wife is out of town right now. So, <laughs> any it's just me. any activities for them that they do that they like? Yeah, well, I mean, they like going to the park and playing outside and all the usual, you know, little kid kind of stuff. So, even in, even you know, in so, March in Quebec, you can go oh, outside. Oh yeah, and play? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we have the snow is piled probably 15 feet high in our front yard right now. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. as I was mentioning to you, ours is all gone, and it's like uh, probably, I don't know, 6, 7 degrees Celsius in the low 40s here Fahrenheit. So, okay, yeah. yeah. All the snow yeah. is gone. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. ready for spring, so I'll come back up so to Quebec. Yeah. I'll come back up to Quebec in the summer, so that's my okay. goal. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> Look me up. <laughs> sounds fair. So, well, today we're going to talk more about... Um, the work background, but also I think, you know, as we move there, but, you know, talk about your transition a little bit, where you're comfortable and, you Mm -hmm. know, a little bit about your life background and how you ended up transitioning. Well, um, yeah. How far back should I start? Yeah, That's a common Um, refrain. We've heard that before. Yeah. So 
I first knew this about myself, although I didn't have the frame of reference or the terminology, obviously, at about the age of four. I knew that uh, this aspect of myself was wrong in terms of not feeling like the boy that everybody said I was. And of course, that's about the age that kids uh, in, in their psychological development begin to realize that they are an individual and not just sort of an extension of their parents, as it were. So around that time is when I realized that, that I am me and the me that everybody said I was didn't sound right to me. And I sort of buried this for a very, very long time. Um, I've always had a very strained, polite way to put it, relationship with my dad. And um, yeah, I just, I guess, instinctively knew to not bring this up. Uh, you know, mind you, that was back in the mid-1970s. And being born in Scotland, and we didn't move to Canada until 1978. So there definitely were, were no resources there for trans kids at that time. You know, I, and, and I don't just mean Scotland, I mean anywhere really. So yeah, you know, I, I, I battled depressive cycles throughout my life and I can, you know, almost look back in my life history and, and see where, you know, I definitely could have been diagnosed with clinical depression, but somehow internally I had the, the resilience somehow to, to sort of keep going and never seriously considered suicide or anything like that. And, you know, it, it was a long time before I really came to terms with who I am as a trans woman, thought that I could eventually make progress towards this. So I, I was in a sort of a semi-toxic relationship for about 17 years. Even that woman that I was with, I never told her this aspect about myself. And it wasn't until I met my now current wife that I left my previous my previous relationship and she left hers, which wasn't, which didn't, which didn't have her in a great place. And we got together and that was in early 2009. And in November of 2012, actually over US Thanksgiving weekend is when we got married. And it was the happiest day of my life. Absolutely. Oh, that's nice. And I would imagine and for a lot of our listeners, Canadian Thanksgiving's in October. So those don't overlap. So yeah. And almost six months to the day after our wedding, which again, I was happy, happy, you know, and I entered into another serious depression. It, it was bizarre. Like I had no reason, no obvious reason to be depressed, but I knew what was causing it. It was tearing me up inside. How, would, how do I tell this woman that I love that I had just married six months earlier and we'd been together for, you know, three years by that point. And how do I tell her this? And finally, she sat me down and said, you have to tell me what's going on. I can't live like this. And that was the first time in my life, and I was 41 years old then, that I had told anybody when I told her. So you and, and I, yeah, you and I sound about the same age. Yeah. Yeah, I just turned 48 a couple of weeks ago. So did I. Oh, that's right. We mentioned that yeah. on Facebook, so. Yeah. So much. So, but, you know, we grew up in the same time period, so, and I remember my mom saying when I came out, she's like, well, you used to do all these girly things, but we just, mm -hmm. we just kind of forced the boy things on you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here really quick. I know my mom mm -hmm. wouldn't say force, but, you know, I played hockey, do the, I did all these other things growing <laughs> up in Minnesota, or as I refer to it, Southern Canada, and, <laughs> and... You know, and you, you just do these things through your life, but yet there's something in the back of your mind, that, and you sound very familiar to me, but we didn't have the words for this in the 1970s mm -hmm. and 80s. So how did you reconcile all that? The internet. The internet. Okay, so that's yeah. not until the 90s then. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I started going online with any sort of regularity back in the old dial-up days, which would have been, for me anyways, 
you know, the, the mid nineties yeah. towards the late nineties. Was that Canada and online? Canada online. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sorry, quite. Bad joke. Uh, bad joke. <laughs> Not going into my set. So of course, and I started looking stuff up and of course, back then, from my perspective, of course, knowing, knowing now what I was reading back then, it was very much transmedicalism um, that seemed to be dominant on the internet back then. You know, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, you have to, you know, you, if you transition, you have to transition into a heterosexual woman. So you have to be with a man, you have to wear feminine clothing. That's just the type of stuff that I found. You know, now, I'm not saying that's all that was out there. That's a new term for me, transmedicalism. So how would you define that? Because that's that's one that I didn't come to grips with who I am until, you know, later than you. So yeah, I identified it. 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 So it's kind, of, it's kind of an amorphous um, description. Pardon me right now. My daughter's here. So we were talking about tran- transmedicalism. Yeah. So um, as near as I can describe, it, it, it's... it's whew. I probably shouldn't even have brought that up. It's 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 very it's very complicated, sort of even to wrap your head around. I read about it a couple of times. Um, okay, that's fair then. Uh, it's not one that's it. used today, so you know, let's not dwell on that one. I think we have more, okay. more important. Maybe just move. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just move I mean, past that. Yeah, but one thing you said in there that I that uh, that caught my attention was you have to do this, you have to do that, and when I first said. I want to transition was in the mid nineties too, a little different circumstances. But one of the things that I heard about transgender women at that time is they have to do these different things or they Mm -hmm. couldn't have sex. They couldn't have orgasms. And so those type of things freaked me out. So I can understand, you know, if you have this list of criteria that you have to do, why you might, you know, I backed away and it sounds like you did the same thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the gatekeeping you could sense back then was absolutely, absolutely intensive. You know, people complain about gatekeeping today, I think, based on the new WPATH standards that came out a few years ago. From my perspective, I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. And I think right now with informed, you know, we have informed consent here. You do, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the only thing I think is kind of gatekeepy, but I also kind and I also understand why, you know, all the letters for surgery, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, if you are going through this type of surgery, these type of changes, they are pretty significant. You want to make sure the people that are undergoing the procedures are of sound mind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, to get a breast augmentation, nobody's asking for letters from cisgender women either. So No, yeah. There's, and there's I a have, balancing act there. I absolutely think there is, you know, uh, and I'm not sure where the ultimate end point is, but I think that um, um, it's much better today than it used to be. Yeah. Because even though I re- started reading about it in the mid '90s, I mean, there was no way that I was even anywhere close to being emotionally or mentally ready to take that step. Yeah. yeah. So, so 2012, you get married, correct? November yep. 2013, you mm-hmm. have this emotional um, depressive breakdown, lack of better term. Yeah. Um, been there, done that. So I say that with absolutely zero judgment. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and you tell your new wife, this is what's going on, and? And, you know, her first thought, I mean, I, okay, so, so, so she comes from Alberta, Canada, so. Oh, the Texas of Canada. The Texas of Canada, really, yeah. you know, it, it's not all like that, but, you know, Alberta has a well-deserved reputation as being the social conservative, um, 
Well, the southern center. part's very Mormon, and a lot of people don't realize that. They're in Cardston yeah. in that area especially, so there's a, yeah. you know, there's so, a Mormon influence there. And, you know, she comes from a Christian background. Um, her parents are definitely Christian. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, so, so she definitely didn't have a frame of, she didn't, she definitely didn't have a frame of reference based on her background and upbringing. And of course, um, you know, the first thing that she said to me was, does this mean you're gay? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I said to her, no, it doesn't mean I'm gay. I don't like men. And of course, internally in my mind, I'm, um, well, I'm probably gay, but not in the way that you think that I might be gay. <laughs> you know, I've had, I had that conversation with my mom. Yeah, absolutely. Just so, like that too. So, so, you know, and, and, you know, give her credit. She didn't throw me out on my you know, on my rear end, which I think happens in probably the majority of cases. So, but she encouraged me to go to the base, um, the the base where we were posted to at the time to go to the hospital and get a, get a referral to see somebody at the mental health clinic that we have there. Oh, that's a um, good first step. That she should, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I did that and it's, you know, it, it, it definitely took her a long time to come to terms with what this meant for me, what this meant for her and what this meant for us as a couple. Um, but she stuck with me through thick and thin through this whole process. So, you know, I had started um, with seeing a psychiatrist, civilian psychiatrist who was on staff, who was actually um, one of the more renowned experts in Canada on this topic. Um, and he was working at the base at the time. And, but we didn't, we didn't really hit it off. I didn't really like very much a sort of Freudian perspective. And given that he Ew. was almost 70, yeah. um, kind of, kind of made sense, I guess, given his vintage. So he, he set me up with a referral to see a psychologist on the civilian side at a private office. And we hit it off immediately. Yeah. I spent the better part of three years under her care and, uh, saw her all well, for the first year every two weeks. That's a lot. You know, covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the military paid for it all, so. But it's still time and yeah. energy and, you know, you're bearing your soul to somebody and that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I was comfortable with her, that's, you know, yeah, and I had never talked about this, so. So that's, so you're, you're working in 2013 here then and you're going through the, you're, you're working with your counselor, um, working through everything, 14, 15, where does the transition start for you then within it from a, even a social medical? How does that start to play out for you? So in 2016, I'll, I'll, I'll just backtrack just a little bit. In early 2015, I actually started on spironolactone, antiandrogens, yep. just to feel like I was doing something. You know, definitely didn't make any any kind of drastic change in my physiology, um, no. you know, some minor, some minor breast growth, which was easily covered up. Um, but in 2016, we spoke to our career manager and he advised us that we were being sent to Quebec city, uh, the following year. So this was while my wife was pregnant with our second kid. And so it took us a while to wrap our heads around that. And at the same time I was, um, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and I had to go on the house hunting trip to Quebec City. There was a lot going on. And for about a week or two, I forgot to take the antiandrogens, which were our birth control. And that's, seriously, and that's where we got pregnant with number three, which was a, a complete accident. So this is all leading somewhere, I guarantee. Okay. Um, so then we made the move to Quebec City when we were still in the hotel here. 
we were waiting on our furniture and effects to come from the West Coast. And that's when our baby that had just been born a few months earlier, well, 10 months earlier, uh, she took her first, you know, unassisted step. And at almost to the same day, my wife found out that she was pregnant wow. with number three. Throughout that, this was about May 2017. And so she was already on maternity leave and she went back to work for a while. And then baby number three was born in January 2018. And of course, during this whole time, we're sort of discussing, you know, possibilities of transition and hadn't really come to any sort of firm conclusion until, you know, just before the baby was born, we kind of mutually agreed that, you know what, this is this third baby is actually going to provide a golden opportunity for myself in that we decided that she, so we get a year of parental leave here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she would take the first eight months and I would take the last four months because we can split it. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. So we decided that when I went on parental leave in the beginning of September, 2018 would be when I would start my social and legal transition because I had started HRT in April of 2018. So the anti-androgen, and just so people know, especially spironolactone, mm -hmm. reduces testosterone to almost exactly. to the point of zero in mm -hmm. persons who are assigned male at birth. But yeah. it doesn't do much for feminization, like you said, maybe like because the estrogen will naturally increase with the decrease of testosterone. So that's why you had the minor breast growth. Mm -hmm. So you going off it, as you said, that provided the opportunity for that happy surprise, as you put it. Yeah. So, so you, that's the only thing you were really doing for about three years then, what it's, mm -hmm. it sounds like. And then, exactly. And then, but did you tell anybody at work during this time? I mean, was there anything going on there with the Navy that where they knew about the treatment? I came out, I came out to my chain of command um, in the summer, sort of very late spring, very early, early summer of 2018. Okay, so said, you had already started HRT. Uh, oh, yes. So, so I had started HRT in April, mm -hmm. and then I came out to my chain of command in June, let's call it June timeframe of yep. 2018. So they knew that I had been planning on taking four months of parental leave. And then I explained to them about my being trans, and it was going to provide me the opportunity to start my transition process and to return to work in January of 2019 as Megan. And everybody was absolutely 100% supportive. So the, the Canadian military has had trans inclusive and supportive policies in place for probably close to a decade now. Okay. Yeah. And the last update just came out like two years ago. So, so real quick here. So I want to pop a question in here related mm -hmm. to this. You say your chain of command, was there somebody you told before you told your, a close friend at work, a coworker, was there somebody yeah. who you told? So Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a few colleagues at work that I was close to um, that I told them first, and then, you know, definitely within that same week before word started to spread. Yep. Because it would have been kind of rude to to have this gossip going around and have my own chain of command not even knowing about this. So. Yeah, and you know, yeah. I'm in the I'm a volunteer firefighter, and and so it sounds like you and I have this similar thing coming out within, you know, our paramilitary organization and your mm -hmm. military organization is I identified a couple people that I thought would be safe and mm -hmm. then dropped it on the chain of command, poor wording maybe, but, um, that seems like a, that seems like a smart way to go about it. You know, your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's really hard to say because everybody's circumstance is going to be yep. is going to be different to some, to you know, greater or lesser degrees. Um, but yeah, I definitely had a couple of female colleagues that I was close to that I worked with, and I, you know, I told them and immediately got the biggest hugs. You know, just very very supportive, and it sort of gave me that little boost to realize that this step that I was about to embark on, you know, yeah, I could go there and. Those hugs are so validating. They are. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it sounds like, and I'm going to say this, but what kind of preparation or research did you do before telling anybody, you know, in the Navy or anybody you worked with? Well, um, you know, I had spent the last several years sort of boning up on different policies and, and, you know, I didn't have a formal plan written down, even though I know some people do that. Um, but before I told my chain of command, I, I just had all the policies um, ready to go so that after I told them, I emailed them the links to all the internal defense policies. And, you know, they knew exactly what was expected of, of a chain of command once they were informed of this. Mm-hmm. And they had no other role other than to A, be supportive and B, to clamp down on any um, uh, potential negative consequences of which I've experienced none. I'll, I'll just say that right now. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I live in New York State, so one of the things that's, you know, unique about the United States is, you know, there's 50 different sets of laws that come along with gender and um, how it's treated in the workplace. And here in New York, as of early last year, we have very strict guidelines. And so I did I did exactly the same play as you did. Um, mm-hmm. After I came out to my chain of command at the fire department, I... Here are, the, here are the New York laws. I know they're new. You need to get caught up with them. But here mm-hmm. are my expectations from you. And I haven't had anything outwardly negative, that, as I would say, very aggressive, but I've had some passive stuff from people that don't talk to me anymore. So mm-hmm. have you had anything like that? Um, <clears throat> no, not, not at work where I am right now. I've had sort of the the silent treatment from a few people on Facebook, which is kind of personally disappointing to me because these are people that I sailed with and we were really close. And when you spend a lot of time together at sea, um, especially when you're, you know, when you're both the same occupation, the same rank, the same background, if that's, I feel that if that's the way they're going to be, just unfriend me and get it over with, Yeah. you know? So, but no, in real life where I work right now, no, I've had, I've had nothing of any significance. Well, so you so you had this four month window. So you tell your chain of command before you left for parental leave. So you take those four months, and what's going on in there, and how do you come back to work then? Well, what's going on in the, in the four months is <laughs> I went to see my stylist Ken for the very first time. So I, I had uh, there's a Facebook page here uh, in Quebec City, and it's for Anglophones who live in Quebec City, and it just allows people to to sort of exchange information and whatever you think might be useful on Facebook and it, 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 it gets, it gets carried out there. So I found out about this Anglophone hairdresser and I contacted him through Facebook, explained the situation. And he's like, well, I'm gay and I have no problem with trans. So yeah, come on and see me. So I said, look, I'm, I'm military. So I don't have really long hair right now. He goes, no problem. I'll work with what you have. And I walked in to see him for the first time and his mouth just hit the floor because of course, I had had my last haircut just a few weeks before and it was still sort of high and tight and, you know, maybe, maybe about an inch on top. I and, have those uh, pictures too. Yeah. 
And so he, he was very patient and we've come a long way since then. So yeah, working on my hair, you know, practicing, I guess, a little bit of makeup, um, just sort of purging um, as many of my male clothes as I could. Um, it was difficult with the, with the, even though I was off work, I couldn't do anything with the, with the, with the naval uniform until I returned to work and actually changed my gender in the, in the military system. Mm-hmm. So during those four months, I also submitted the forms for the province of Quebec and they make it really easy actually. So gender marker change and name change one application. Um, yeah, done. Um, I didn't even have to go see, you know, a notary or a lawyer because I just went to see the, the JAG lawyer that was in our building and he was free for us. So he got everything ticked off and I had it sent in and, uh, then when I returned to work in January, I was legally Megan Jane McKee and uh, got everything else taken care of in fairly short order. Wow, that's impressive. So, and then I don't, for me, I had to apply back to Minnesota to change my birth certificate. And I don't know how that works in Canada. Are you able to uh, amend your birth certificate as well? Yeah, so um, it definitely was a little bit more complicated for myself uh, being born in another country. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. You're born yeah. in Scotland, so... So I, I, I have looked into it to changing it in Scotland and it's still a bit of a, an ordeal to do that. I can so imagine I found, the, yeah. Yeah, I found out through Quebec that even if you were born somewhere else, so, so long as you're a legal resident in the province, they will issue you a new birth certificate. So oh, wow. I had them do that. It's not, it's not like a, an original that somebody who was actually born here might get. I can't remember the terminology, but basically it's a pseudo birth certificate. Okay. And it indicates that you were born, in my case, in Scotland, and everything's been updated here in Canada. Well, that's nice. I mean, yeah. and it's nice that it's so easy. That's one of the things here that, yeah, you know, you you know, the name change requires lawyers, notaries, and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that's and there tough. was no fingerprinting. There's no going before a judge and making a petition or anything like that. Yeah. I'm Everything's fort- just mail it off and they do it for you. Unfortunate. Mine is sealed. And so, you know, and also with some of my semi um, public persona, you know, it's nice to have that kind of hidden away. So at least yeah. I have that. So, mm-hmm. so when you came back to work, how, how was Megan received by everybody? Very well. I was treated just like, um, everybody. Okay. So it's the military. Everybody called me ma'am. Um, my own section chief, uh, he kind of screwed up a few times and called me sir, but he immediately did the Homer Simpson forehead slap and, uh, corrected himself every time. And, you know, I, I honestly have had no, no issues whatsoever. And so with the yeah. policies. No drama. No, that's so nice. Yeah. I wish I had similar stories. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody was supportive. The, organiz- the organization you're part of, the Royal Canadian Navy, no issues. The policies were in place. So that helps, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, people have gone before me and people will come after me. So fortunately, they've, you know. Um, crossed that bridge some years ago as far as military policy goes. And, uh, you know, they realized that, well, we're still capable, capable members of the armed forces that can still do the same job. Yeah, it so, makes no difference. And it sounds like you, you communicated this, but I just kind of want to check this question off. But, you know, but your chain of command followed the policies and regulations that were mm-hmm. in place for you. So, yeah, it made it simple. Mm-hmm. Wow, imagine that. Follow yeah. the policies, things will work I know. out. Yeah. Yeah. And have you had any problems or anything that's come up? I mean, it doesn't sound like at work, but maybe, you know, 
what's what's been the biggest surprise for you regarding your transition? Uh, the fact that honestly, so I didn't look, let's say I never looked feminine to start with at all. And even my wife was like, I don't know about your expectations. Like at about 18 months and, you know, I've, I've been taking selfies, you know, the whole time I've just flood my timelines with we selfies. All, we all do. Yeah. So I, I, at 18 months and I took, I looked at this one selfie that I took and I was just blown away in the change in how I looked. And then I realized that I think like I first started going out publicly in January as Megan, January of 2019. And I couldn't remember the last time I got served or en français, monsieur, right? It was, it's always madame, madame, madame. I and I think that's been the biggest surprise for me. I don't get, I don't get gendered very often. Um, uh-huh. Most of the time because of what I, where I work, because people only hear my voice sometimes, and that's not mm-hmm. the most feminine. Then I get a sir every now and then, but uh, same for me on the phone. You know, yeah. it, it's you know, voice is definitely a work in progress, and it's it's yeah. a difficult thing to yeah. change. But usually, people, you know, where I work, usually once they see me, they're like, "Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it is what it is." I'm trying yeah. to get better with that. So, so, but you know, like you said, so everything in public, everything with the chain of command, it just sounds like your life is just really falling into place for you, then, Megan. It really has, you know, and I realize maybe some of your listeners tune in to hear, you know, elements of drama or. <laughs> hardship and I, I i i really can't fulfill those needs right now well you, you know? know what it's nice to have a story that doesn't have drama though really mm-hmm. it sounds like most of your drama was internalized and you, oh absolutely you, and you took care of that yeah yeah so how i survived that long i don't know but i'm sure there's plenty of other trans women or trans men too who are in the yeah. same situation just by sheer force of will it's funny because I had somebody recently say to me, it's like, oh, all you transgender people are mentally ill. And I'm like, actually, <laughs> I'm not on any anxiety or depression drugs right now. And uh-huh. unlike you, I um, have been on and off of them throughout my adulthood. And now that, you know. Unlike me? I thought you said you weren't on any before. No, I never said that. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that's that's Okay. I missed something there. That's fine. I'm glad. It, okay. No, but I I was never on any type, or I was on and off anxiety yeah. and depression drugs. Maybe I misunderstood something you said earlier. But, you know, once I've transitioned and now I'm on HRT and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm running on the right fuel, so to speak, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, the anxiety and depression have gone away for me. Yeah. I mean, I've been on, um, what's it called again? Telegram or Celexa. Okay. For so, the better yep, part of sorry, five years. I, I, I thought I missed something earlier, so I might have misunderstood. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely to help me through that um, that initial period of where I was coming to, to terms with actually coming out and telling my wife and going to see therapists and sort of dealing with everything that had built up and, and gradually releasing it. Um, now, I am on a tapering off program now, so I've you know, I don't feel that I need it anymore, but I also don't want to just cut myself off. So no, tapering a, off program yeah. over about a year or so. That's a safer way to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much just said, ah, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I've missed like a week before uh, when I traveled and forgot to take it with me. And it was, it was not good. No. It was physically not good. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that. So I've been fortunate for me. So yeah. 
Well, Megan McKee, I want to thank you so much for coming on Trans Stories. I think, you know, this has provided wonderful insight on what organizations can do to help with transition. And, and also, thank you for sharing part of your personal story with us. And Well, Amy, I am absolutely thrilled that you had me on today, and I'm looking forward to uh, keeping in touch with you. And okay. if you come up to Quebec City, be sure to look me up. Oh, once you've said that, you know, it's pretty much a guarantee I'm going to show up at some point. So there you go. Absolutely. You're more than welcome. Well, it's been so many years since I've been up there, so I'm due for a visit. So Absolutely. Yep. All righty. We'll be back with more Trans Stories right after this. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to trans stories i am your host amy stevens and my pronouns are she her once again i would like to thank megan mckee for coming on and discussing her transition and her professional transition with the royal canadian navy One of the things that really struck me, and I hope it jumped out at you, is companies and organizations that have policies for transgender people that when they follow them and stick to them, that things work out very well. There's not this disruption in the organization, especially in the military. You know, we hear so much about in the United States how being transgender is such a drain on units. And Megan's experience directly contradicts that, and I hope somebody somewhere can share this with Vice President Pence. That's my only, That's if somebody could do that, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much. But, you know, when these companies have these policies and procedures, it's just as one major relief for the transgender person, and there's such a happy and healthy outcome here in Megan's story that it's worthwhile to follow. Well, anyway... I hope you enjoyed that interview. We're going to do a few more on workplace transitions, and I hope you enjoy this series. If you'd like to be on Trans Stories, um, please drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you can find me. My email is amystevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S, 617 at gmail.com. That's amystevens, 617 at gmail.com. For my guest, Megan McKee, I am Amy Stevens. Thank you for listening, everybody. Good night.